Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation, we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So welcome everybody, and I'm joined this afternoon by Kate Archbold. Kate, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, we are uh, both in Sydney. It is uh, a grey and dreary afternoon. Um, we're happily ensconced inside on government orders. How is lockdown treating you so far? It's, uh, you know, it's... It's not what I would have liked. I, um, <laughs> I recently joined a, a new company um, because I wanted to go back into an office because my, my previous employer, um, Atlassian, went completely remote um, last yes. year. So there was, uh, like, you could go into the office, but generally it was a re it's a remote-first company now. And I craved working with people. Um, so I've gone and I've joined my new company, Bright, and I was in the office for a week and a half. Oh, wow. Before, we, uh, before all the city workers were sent home. And, uh, yes, it's very unfortunate timing. There were some interesting stories last year. Uh, I spoke to a bunch of people at the beginning of the pandemic last year struggling with the way to onboard new staff when everyone was remote. Um, and it was a real challenge. So at, at least you got that week and a half, which is something. Um, yeah, but even so, like a week and a half is not enough to settle into a new uh, workplace. How's that going? I think it's going a lot better than what I I expected it to. I think having yeah. the opportunity to meet people face-to-face -face has made the biggest difference because it's like I can feel comfortable asking people for help on Slack because I've met you. I've seen you in person. So, like, I, yep. I know that you're okay with me asking these questions. Um, so it's one of those things where it would obviously be preferable if we were sitting next to each other and, you know, sure. you get that tap on the shoulder. Um, mm. But I think I feel very lucky that I, I had that week and a half at least because I see new starters that join on purely remote and I, I felt very concerned for them when we were like in that fully remote sort of world where it's like, how do I let you know it's okay for you to message me or the silly questions when it's, when it feels so much more formal to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's odd. Um, the idea of walking over to somebody's desk and asking a question, can you help me with, where do I find, who should I talk to about type questions, just take on a whole new, meaning when I've got to first initiate a, a Zoom call or a Teams call or something like that. And that requires some setup because I just can't call you. Um, I've got to first text you and say, hey, can we have a few, you know, can I ask you something? Um, it's, a, it's a lot more, you use the word formal and it, and it does feel like it. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. 
Now, can you tell me about Bright? Yes. So I've been uh, at Bright for about a month now, actually. I started on the 15th of June and it's the 14th of July. So about, up, about on my first month. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a startup, a Sydney-based startup that's looking at uh, sustainable energy. So things like okay. solar panels, um, batteries. Currently, you can go to Bright to help sort of finance getting solar panels on your house because I think a big challenge for people to sort of get into that sustainable energy solar panel um, mm. way of like getting energy is that upfront cost. So Bright started off with the mission of sort of making it easier to access by taking care of some of that upfront cost and helping you get, get that sustainable energy quicker. Um, yeah, okay. So really uh, joined for the, for the mission, really excited to be a part of a company that's doing something so like important at this, at this time of, that we are living in. So does that include um, converting um, gas cooking and heating to electricity? Does Bright deal in those sorts of areas as well? Not at this point in time. Mm. I can't speak to whether or not that's on the horizon, but it has to happen. <laughs> like Australia yes. has to move yes. towards a uh, more like having those electric stovetops. Like it's it's yes. quite, it's got to happen. So. Mm. I mean, ad admittedly, we need the renewable infrastructure in order for that to start making sense. There's no point switching to an, an electric stovetop if it just means burning more coal at Little or Loyang or, you know, some other coal plant. So I, I get that part. Yes, so that's, exactly. that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about your role there. Yeah, so I'm a senior UX designer there. Um, I am helping with sort of a, a part of the company that's um, still sort of cooking up exactly what we're doing, but I'm helping with just your standard sort of product design UX UI type of problems where it's um, mm -hmm. how do you help people sign on to, onto like systems. Like it's, it's, it's not too dissimilar to your standard type of product design role, um, yep. but it's the, the, it's the content and the, and the industry that's really the differentiator for me and, and sort of as to why I moved from a company as big as Atlassian into something a little bit more smaller and not as well known. I was going to say, like, that's a big shift from Atlassian and everything they've been going through. You were there for four years. Is that right? I have that right? Um, yeah. And they, they changed significantly during those four years. That was a period of quite substantial growth for the company. Um, if memory serves, that was just after or just around the time they went public? Just after. Just <laughs> after? for me. Just yeah, after. Yeah, even, even so. I mean, that was, that was you know, like uh, a period of enormous change within the, in the company. Um, a lot of people, a very big design team, a big design research team growing up, um, big development team spread around the world and now you're in this uh, startup in, in Sydney, that must be a real change. It's a huge change. It's a, it's, I think having come from a, a company as large as Atlassian, I didn't understand the extent to which having such a large team around you uh, is so much of, it felt like a bit of a safety blanket because it's like, mm. 
you get stuck on something, you have a team of designers that work on the exact same product as you that you can tap on the shoulder and say, like, you're also an expert in this. Can you help me get some ideas? Um, and there's yep. also this sense of, like, if I'm not skilled in something, there's this huge team of designers across the company that I can tap on the Somebody shoulder and will say, be. yeah, so, like, help me with my research. Like, having that dedicated mm. research team was a luxury. Like, having the dedicated content designers, a huge luxury. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest shock going into such a, a startup where I think I might be maybe the fourth or fifth designer there in the company yeah, wow. is the... Hey. Um, all the hats that I'm putting on that I used to be able yeah. to rely on entire people to wear. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. And how how is that um, that design team balanced with the rest of the team? Is it um, heavy on engineering and, and development people or is it more sort of business and um, that type of product person? It's more business focused, which is another okay. bit of a difference is... Um, yeah coming from like tech where there are, I could throw a rock and it would hit a developer 99% of the time. Not that I would. <laughs> to, Some to, days though. Yeah. Yep. To a company where there's more around like uh, financial compliance and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally yep. different world. Someone who understands the New South Wales regulatory environment around solar panels on rooftops and whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Do you deal? Are you dealing much with the um, building industry, and uh, is it new home developments that the the team is working with, or is it sort of um, upgrades or refurbishments of current housing? I think it's a bit of both. I don't think I, I can't speak to whether or not we're targeting to one specific because I'm not too sure. We're at the point where um, we work with vendors who sell the hardware so that sort of yes, sales okay. process is is out yep. of like not something that we necessarily um have a big part in um, right. but i think there's a there's millions upon millions of homes currently built that don't have solar that are yes <laughs> that are there that could yes. that could get solar so there's um there's a really big opportunity in existing houses yeah. just as much as there are in the developments I mean, Australia has, I think, like one of the highest take-up uh, rates of rooftop solar on residential housing in the world at about 25%, which means there's still seven, seven and a half million homes in Australia without rooftop solar. Um, none of them, you know, like maybe a rounding error have batteries installed, um, like a tiny fraction of them would actually have batteries installed so far. So, yes, huge opportunity. Um, what sort of involvement do you have then when you're working with those more sort of finance risk compliancy type people um, and their input into your work? I've been treating them in the same way that I sort of treated my developer and um, PM counterparts when I was just working in tech because at the end of the day, the principles feel the same where it's like you've got a set of constraints that you're working with that help dictate mm. how much wriggle room you have to design and what you want. So just like yeah. working with developers on a product like Jira, it's like I can come up with five different designs and then uh, the developers and I will work through well, which ones are technically possible to build in a reasonable amount of time. 
So yep. you, it's the same principle where I, I come up with the best possible design that I think should be there for the best customer experience. And then the compliance people will work with me to sort of come to a happy medium. So yeah. there's, there's no sense of them dictating the experience, which is fantastic because Just that's where things yeah. get dangerous. That's where things get dangerous and legalese comes into it and it gets confusing. So none of that. Yeah. What's the role of, um, okay. How, how big a role is content playing in all of that? Well, currently uh, we don't have like a dedicated content design like um, role. Um, yep. So it's shared between uh, marketing, but also a little bit of research, a little bit of myself. It's one of those um, one of those skills where I think we would benefit enormously from having somebody that is dedicated for that role, but we're just not sure. big enough at that point. So yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's about sharing the load of that. But um, I know that my strategy has been to um, work closely with marketing to make sure that what we say is appealing, but then that's where compliance also comes in to make sure that what we say yes. is legally true and that we are allowed to say it. So that's, I yes. think, a big part of where they come in is is the content and the communication. Yeah. So um, what is the next person you need in the team then if it's not going to be content who's 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 next what would you add next that's a great question I, th I feel like I'm a bit spoiled because I'm currently working with um somebody who is a great researcher um mm. so he's joined on to be full-time as of last week or this week um, in lockdown, oh, I don't know <laughs> at some point. So <laughs> research would have been my top pick, um, but I'm very fortunate to have someone there who's quite good at it. So content is yeah. probably my number one at this point. Yeah. It's always, it's always useful, but you're, um, it, it is one of those disciplines that's, it can sometimes be hard to prioritise it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's like any sort of more uh, narrow skill set within the broad UX church that and whether you're talking about information architecture or content or um, interaction design necessarily, um, it can be hard to say, I need a specialist with this skill set and that's what they're going to do and to look across a team of five or six people and go, there's enough work for that one person to just work on. Um, you've also got to convince everybody else that they won't work on that anymore, that we'll give it to the specialist and, and give it up, um, which can also be a challenge. Now, you're going to be talking at UX Australia um, about working with uh, a range of different disciplines. Can you tell us a little bit about what you'll be touching on in that, in that talk? Yes. So my plan is to focus primarily on what uh, product designers or, or who I should say product designers work with in tech. Mm. Um, okay. So I found that when I was in university, I studied design. And so I was naturally surrounded by design students for three years. Okay. Um, all about group projects we did with a group of designers. So when I first joined onto Atlassian, I joined on as a grad and mm -hmm. I had this moment of like, hang on a minute, I'm not actually working with designers every single day. I'm working with product managers every single day and I'm working with developers every single day. 
And I have my design team there and we meet very frequently. We critique each other's work. I tap them on the shoulder for help. But at the end of the day, I'm collaborating and moving work forward mm-hmm. with people who are not designers. So that's, that's sort of what inspired me into creating this talk and sort of putting it forward as a topic was, one, because it was a shock to me as a design student to come into the world and do that. But yeah. two, because I think uh, we focus a lot in the design community on design and that makes total sense. Why wouldn't we? Um, but understanding not just how to bring others into the design process, but how to take ourselves as designers into the dev process and the PM process is mm. just as powerful. And I think yeah, it's much much like well-rounded design. Does that get covered well in your design studies? It didn't when I was there. I will say that the... Where were you? I was Probably. at University of Sydney. Okay. So I did the, um, the design computing degree, which I think um, pops up every... So I think there are quite a few alumni <laughs> that are still in Sydney doing design. Yeah. Um, it's one of those degrees where true to the fact that it's a design degree, they, they iterate on it very, very frequently. So yes. the degree that I did back in the like sort of early to mid 2010s, which feels strange to say, um, is likely not this, not exactly the same degree that they do today. So it yeah, wasn't okay. covered when I did it. There were yeah. moments where we learnt sort of that business skill and we learnt bits and pieces of the dev skills. Sure. But yep. We didn't collaborate with them as much as um, as what you do in the real world. But I, I, I've certainly heard similar stories from, um, you know, design programs at other schools, not only in New South Wales, but in um, West Australia and Victoria and New Zealand and um, even in most of America. Um, it's probably only when you get to design schools in Europe where a group project will actually involve people from other disciplines where you'll get a collaboration project with the School of Business or with the, you know, uh, School of Technology or computing, like really sort of heavy on the computing side where they'll actually collaborate across those schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it, it's interesting the way that subsequently then shows up in the workplace as something that you need to learn and get used to. Yes, for sure. And I I think it's, I underestimated how powerful it was as a skill in sort of the first year or so that I was coming out of university because, you know, I was very excited to be a designer. I still am. (laughs) I had had that fresh sort of just graduated energy around like, I can't wait to to do this design work and be just just really good at it. And I'm going to go into work and I'm going to do all my design artifacts. Um, But it can't happen in isolation of Mm. developers and product managers or in different industries, finance people, lawyers, compliance. It's it's about being able to work with them just as much as it is being able to do the craft. Mm. It it raises an interesting question, which is that um, most people who study law don't practice law. They go into politics or industrial relations or into the corporate world um, and you'll find them in a whole range of other environments. Leaning on their law degree 
leaning on that understanding of corporations law or criminal law or whatever it might be, but not actually doing any of it. It's a, it's a mindset, a body of knowledge um, rather than the thing that they do. Um, and I think we're starting to see that evolution of design as being something that we learn and then use to do other things rather than do. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I find myself using that sort of design thinking process to figure out what is the best way to communicate with a product manager? Um, mm. What is the best way to bring a developer into the process and, and you know, collaborate on things like the database architecture? Like, I, I wouldn't have learned that in university, but I can use the skills that I learned in designing to help lead us through a process like that. So it's, I feel like it's one of those skills that once you learn how to go through the design process, you know how to do just about anything. Well, you've at least got a way into the problem. Yes. And I think, you know, whether you've got the domain expertise to actually make much headway um, simply points to who you need to collaborate with. Um, but at least you've got the tools to start unpacking anything pretty much. And, and that in itself can be of enormous value to any team that you happen to find yourself in. Exactly. And I think that's where like design as sort of a facilitator is really powerful. But I think it, it all comes down to how well you can use that design skill to collaborate with others, but on their terms, just as much as bringing them into the design process. Mm. I think that's a great point to stop, Tate. Thank you so much for that. I am uh, looking forward very much to hearing more about it when you present at UX Australia. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to uh, the conference. It's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you.